graduated from Sheffield um, doing languages and I'm back for the summer, so it's great to be here. How did you do, Very well. I did well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so we are looking at Psalm 16. I love the Psalms. There's something um, just very personal about the Psalms, and I've just I've really enjoyed getting stuck into this Psalm because the more you look at the Psalms, the more you get out of it. So it's really it's been a great opportunity for me. This is not informative. This is not um, you know a good study of what Psalm 16 means. It's just my insights um, about what I think it it says to us. Um, and the challenges, mostly, that it comes up with. And I'm definitely asking more questions than I am answering them. You might even come away a little bit more stressed than you came in, but hopefully that's not the response. Um, I'm just going to chuck out some questions um, and some challenges that I think this raises for how we live our lives. So first, a few general points. Psalm 16 is a psalm of David. Um, He is talking to God about his wholehearted commitment to him and the blessings that he therefore experiences through this relationship with God and how that affects his life and his outlook. As Chris said, this word mictum, this title, um, isn't really known what it means. I found a couple of different descriptions. The one I liked the most that I'm going to talk about um, is that it's a secret psalm. That a lot of people think that this meant that this prayer was said in secrecy or in silence. So it wasn't meant um, to be shouted from the rooftops to everyone, for everyone to hear, but it was a personal prayer from David to God. Some other translations also mean mystery. Um, which is also quite cool. I think it hints at this profound truth that David has found um, that actually is really hard to grasp um, and that we don't fully understand now. But what scholars do agree is that it was written in a time of hardship, that it was, um, he was fearful, he was in a crisis, um, like the other Psalms with the same title. So we know that this is a personal cry from a fearful man, and originally it wasn't intended to be spoken out loud but prayed honestly and directly to God. So the tone is quite interesting. It starts with this one verse, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. But then the rest of the psalm kind of takes a different turn. And definitely by the end, we see that the tone is completely different. And this for me is kind of the main point, that he starts off fearful, that he starts off in a place of need in God's protection, But then by the end, he is so secure in God's goodness and his joy in his relationship with God um, that he's completely transformed by the end of the psalm. So I think it's a very powerful prayer and one that we can learn a lot from. So do keep it in front of you as I go through it. Um, I'm just going to go through it verse by verse um, and see what we can learn from it and this journey that David goes on. So slide one, please, Rob. Um, Verse one and two. As I said, it starts with a plea for safety. He's in a place of fear, and he turns to God in this time of crisis. So he's coming to find protection and security. But further than that, he is then pledging his commitment to God again and saying that God is the source of all goodness in his life. And whatever else is going on in his life at this moment, God is the only good thing that he sees. He's setting his priorities straight on God again despite what is going on around him, despite his circumstances. And I think we can all relate to that feeling of fear. Um, We come to God often starting our prayers. I definitely start off my prayers with, God, I'm worried, I'm stressed, I'm sad, I'm 
fearful, and it's okay to come to God honestly like this, because he wants us to be honest when we approach him, and that's good, we should do that. But look how quickly the psalm turns to how God is his goodness. Do our prayers take the same turn as it did for David? I know it takes me a lot longer for that change to come about from me saying, oh gosh, I don't know what to do, I'm fearful in this situation, but God is still good. So how quickly and and at what focus are our prayers turning towards God's goodness as opposed to our fears? This was certainly true actually this week for me. I did a big walk and I spent most of the time being very grumpy and praying. Um, And half of those prayers were just, God, this is horrible. I hate this. Why are you doing this to me? I'm so in so much pain. Um, And it was only really hours after I'd been praying these prayers that I was able to just look up and say, wow, this is actually really beautiful. God, you're so good. Um, so it's just, it's, I think this verse poses a challenge of remaining focused actually on God's goodness and not the circumstances around us. So do we, like David, know that God's goodness is not situational but secure in, in his goodness? So verse 3 and 4 go on to say, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are noble ones in whom I is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. So this section introduces two groups of people. Firstly, the holy people, or otherwise translated as saints. Basically, the people who were at the time around David devoted to God. So for us, other Christians. David here is expressing his delight towards the other people of God in his life. Those that he can learn from and those that he loves. Maybe they had given him a source of encouragement or comfort in this time when he needed it. Or maybe just the knowledge that there were other people out there in the land praying and finding hope in God was reassuring for him. So what this says for me is that we should remember that we are not alone when we are feeling these these feelings of doubt and fear. It's not always easy following Jesus, but we have a family of believers around us who we should find love and joy in. There are mixed interpretations of this line, Um, But for me, given that David was writing from a place of hardship and therefore praising his fellow believers, I think he must have had a supportive group of God-fearing friends around him for him to be able to say this line, those that were lifting him up. So who are these people for you? Do you thank God for those people when you are struggling? Do you thank God for them at all? I think it's important to remember that you are not alone and that we should turn our eyes not only to God in our times of fear, but also to those who are pointing us to God. And then the second group in verse 4 are those who run after other gods. He was probably talking about those who worshipped Baal at the time or other pagan practices where they would sacrifice their own blood to these gods and these idols. In other words, people who were definitely not worshipping God. So David saw that when people looked to other things and other gods for their security, their satisfaction, their protection, their identity, that they suffered. And we have looked um, a few times before at idols um, in our lives. And whatever that might be for us today, whether it be money or our career or another person, even ourselves, whatever our idols are, they will ultimately cause us more pain and trouble. And we're also surrounded by other people who are following other gods. 
it's hard. We see in our society all sorts of different idols that we're getting caught up in. But in this psalm, we see David refusing to be swayed by those other gods and those other people following those gods. He wasn't associated with them. So how are we standing up and saying, no, I refuse to involve myself in these idols and these things that will eventually cause me more harm? He was resolved not to follow the customs of his world, but to stand firm in his God, in his God alone. So are we being constantly transformed by the renewing of our minds, separating ourselves from those things that beg for the attention of our hearts and probably cause us more fear? What does it look like for you to not pour out libations of blood to your gods, but to live differently from those that do? Verse 5 and 6, he goes on to say that you, Lord, alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. So after stating that there was nothing to be found in these other gods, David goes on to explain that God is his one and only God. The next few verses are the blessings and the promises that we receive from God when we put our trust only wholeheartedly in him. So portion and cup um, here means inheritance. It was the promise of security and everything that they could ever need. It was a huge blessing for um, people in the days of Moses and and in the days of David. Um, And it meant full provision. It meant security for the future. When we see Old Testament figures saying that God, God is their inheritance, their complete portion and allotment of blessing, it means that God was absolutely everything they could ever need. That was a big deal. And so for David, he was the youngest of many sons. Um, And it it was unlikely that he would get a large, if any, inheritance. But despite that, he was certain of God's provision for him. So God not only provides all that we need, he is all that we need. And he will sustain us materially into the future, but also um, spiritually. He gives us full security. So do we truly believe this? Do we live like this on a daily basis? Or are we relying too much on our financial or material situations? Is God all we need? Would we be satisfied if God was all we had? Those are some very big questions, I do realise. I think it's just good to to look at our hearts um, and see where our securities are. And then looking at the second line, David was also clearly satisfied with his lot. He decided to look at his boundary lines for his land, everything that he owed, owned now, um, and be satisfied with it. You can just picture him looking over his land and saying, yeah, I am content with what I have. I think it's really easy to harbour discontentment. I think this begs the question that maybe our material circumstances dictate often our level of satisfaction. And when we both, when we look at what we have now, and what we are promised by God in the future, are you content? This psalm is saying that we can be content in whatever the circumstances, simply because we have God. We have Christ. He is all that we need. And in fact, Paul in the New Testament goes even further by saying in Philippians 3.8 that whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is a challenge for me. Are we content with what we have? Are we content with Christ? Verse 7 and 8 go on to say, Lord, you alone am... Oh, I've done that already. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So not only do we receive material blessing and contentment from God, we also receive counsel and guidance. This, again, is so much greater than anything the world could offer us and those other idols that we seek. When we seek God and ask for his guidance, he will give it to us and it should sustain us. But again, today David goes further than that to say that he was so in tune with God and so consumed by living for him that even when he lies down at night, he is able to have a calm and instructive voice within himself. I don't know about you, but I often take a very long time to get to sleep because my mind is whirring with all the busy things I have to do. And often that is from a place of worry. I don't know if if you find that, but are our hearts instructing us wisely or are we worried about the things of the world? This heart here that, that David has is definitely one that's being transformed by God's thinking and not his own. It's a heart that at night, in the silence, when your head is on the pillow, it's not worrisome or restless. We see in Psalm 127 verse 2, for example, a heart that is not like that. It says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. There's a restlessness about that heart. But this one in, in this psalm is calm, it's secure, and it's thinking purposefully in line with God's will. So how do we achieve a heart like that, that instructs and doesn't cause more worry? The answer is found in verse 9, that we must always keep our eyes on the Lord, because when we do that, we find rest and peace for our souls. So this is a decision that we have to constantly make every day and every night, so that we have a perspective on God that we can always go back to. If our heart is full of worry and fear, maybe our eyes aren't on the Lord. We receive an inner stability when we trust in God. And in verse 9 and 10, there's a shift. Ultimately, um, like in verse 7 and 8, Jesus was the only one to ever fully and always do this. We should always look back to Jesus. He kept his eyes always on the Lord, and he was not shaken. So here in verse 9 and 10, he says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. So his heart is glad. This is the reaction to everything we've heard already. The therefore suggests that everything that's gone before means everything that goes forward. It it symbolizes this joy, and it means that we can have a heart that is glad, because this decision to set our heart on God alone will satisfy us and bring us deep joy. So we've seen this protection and this provision, a security, a guidance from God. And all of these things thus far have been 
things for now, things while we're living on earth. But in verse 9 and 10, we see these promises that surpass this world. They surpass this life and extend into eternity. And this is where Jesus comes in. Some scholars think that David was purely talking about his own body here, um, not going to the realm of the dead or seeing decay, that he would experience a healing, um, that he might also be talking yeah, purely about his life after death with God. But actually, in a greater sense, this is talking prophetically about Jesus, who was the only holy one, faithful one, to truly fulfill this promise through his resurrection. And this is also powerfully reinstated and quoted in the New Testament in Acts 2, 25 to 31, when Peter is giving his preach at Pentecost. And I love this. It says, this is thousands of years later, after this psalm had been written. I can tell you confidently that David died and was buried here in this tomb. He was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. God had raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. That's just incredible. I think that's so cool. It's this prophecy going out through the Bible that David, all those years ago, was silently praying, speaking these words that would ring true and only be truly fulfilled in Jesus himself years later. David only knew in part what he was saying, but we know in full now that Jesus, for our sake, was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, that he has given us this promise of life through faith in him, that we can be truly sure of life after death and resurrection life now. So it's no wonder David's heart was glad if he, if he had this prophecy in his heart of, of someone coming and, prof- and prophetically fulfilling this, this resurrection. But how much more glad should we be knowing that it's done, it's finished, God's um, victory has been won in Jesus? Are we grasping this truth? Are we grasping this promise that extends from this life into the next? And in verse 11, he says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So now, again, we see because of what Jesus has done, winning victory over death, we are able to know the path of life that not only starts in God's presence now and each and every day, but it extends into eternity as well. This is not only speaking of the end goal of death and then it finishes there, but of each day lived out with God in the truth that we have life eternally in heaven with him. And that should cause us to be joyful. Amen. Yes, amen, hallelujah. We have such a reason to be joyful. Nothing can satisfy us like God can and will. David simply and powerfully describes his commitment to God and the blessing and the satisfaction that it brings him on earth, but then also this promise of eternal bliss that it brings too. And his fear that he talks about in verse 1, completely gone. There's absolutely no um, hint here of any fear at all. He's talking about joy in his presence. He's talking about eternal pleasures at his right hand. His fear is gone because he knows the path that he will take. 
this is complete satisfaction and fullness. And it says in Psalm 17:15 as well, the next Psalm after this, I shall be satisfied with seeing your likeness. So the question is, are we? Are we truly satisfied now and experiencing God's fullness of joy without fear? Do these truths that we have just prayed through dispel the fears that we experienced in verse 1? So let's go back to verse 1. Maybe you're feeling these feelings of fear. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're worried, stressed. Whatever you're feeling, let's start at verse 1. Bring those things to God. Come back into his presence and be truthful with him. But go through the psalm again until you, are, you can be at that place of saying, I'm satisfied in God, and apart from him, I have no good thing. You have filled me with your joy and with your eternal pleasures. So I think what we should do is just take five minutes. I'm going to read the psalm through again. Have a quick glance at those questions that came up, but there might be other questions that you've got on your heart as well. Just have a think about where you are. Maybe you're at verse one. Maybe you're full of fear and feelings of just overwhelm, dread or despair or sadness, whatever you're feeling, bring those things to God first. And then I'll read through the psalm in its entirety so that we can then end at this place of joy in God's full presence in his promises of eternal life. safe my God for in you I take refuge I say to the Lord you are my Lord apart from you I have no good thing I say of the holy people who are in the land they are noble ones in whom is all my delight those who run after other gods will suffer more and more I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their name on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Father, I thank you for this psalm. 
I thank you that through David we can be so reassured of your goodness in our lives. Father, I thank you that we can come honestly into your presence with whatever we're feeling. Father, I thank you that perfect love casts out fear. I thank you that in your presence we don't have to be fearful. I pray that we would be transformed by your presence, that we would leave so much differently from when we came because your goodness runs after us, Father, that we can find security and protection and love and eternal pleasures in your presence. Father, I pray for anyone who might be feeling that fear. God, I pray for anyone here or online who might be feeling scared or worried, stressed, anxious. Father, I thank you that your perfect love casts out those fears. And I pray that we would just come into your presence and experience that fullness of joy again, Father. We commit our devotion to you again. And thank you, God, that you just pour out blessing upon blessing upon our lives when we give you our full trust and faithfulness. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that this is a prophecy that was fulfilled through Jesus' death and resurrection and that we stand in that truth today, knowing that it is finished. The victory is yours. Victory is ours in Jesus. We praise you for that, Father. In his name, amen. amen.